Hey, this is Greg Harvey, pastor at Embrace Church. Enjoy today's message and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming sermons. So for our first story, all you need to know about who you are is that your job, that your life is spent taking care of a massive herd of pigs. All right, you and your buddies are, are in charge of one of the largest herds in the area. You're in charge of around 2,000 pigs, and you've taken them to, to some cliffs now. As you look back behind you as to where you were in the past and where you're going to have to take them in the future, you see all the destruction from where you've been. Now, you know the area that you're, you're at. You know the areas near the tombs. And you've heard the stories, the urban legends of the crazy man that lives in the tombs. Are you a crazy man that, that, that doesn't wear clothes and cuts himself and can't be tied up because any time people have tried, he just breaks his own chains. Now, I know those stories have to be fake. There's, there's no way that could possibly be true. It's got to be an urban legend. Just keep crazy kids from playing in tombs for whatever strange reason they might want to play in tombs for. But your curiosity gets the best of you, and you decide to go over to the edge of a cliff to get a look for yourself. Now, as you look over the edge, you notice a boat landing on shore. And you see 13 men get out of the boat, and at the same time, you notice a crazy man coming from the tombs running towards the 13. But this man isn't what you pictured. No, no, he's, he's far scarier and far more wild than you ever imagined was possible. Now, you're too far away to hear any of the side conversations that's happening, but we can see a scared look on the face of 12 of the men. Uh, scratch, that's, that's not right. You see a terrified look on the face of the 12. However, you also notice that a man from the tombs also looks terrified. And you wonder to yourself, what could possibly make a man that, that everyone is scared of afraid? But whenever he gets to the leader of the 13, he falls down. Then the man starts yelling loud enough that you can hear. What have you to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you by God, do not torment me. Jesus. Jesus, you recognize that name. You've heard stories about a guy named Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, other, other parts of the region that's been doing miracles. It has to be the same guy. Who else could possibly make this guy everyone else is scared of uh, afraid? And as you finish that thought, you hear something that scares you enough that you fall to the ground. You realize that Jesus must have asked him, what is your name? Because you hear a man respond in the creepiest voice you have ever and will ever hear. My name is Legion, for we are many. At this, you drop to the ground, almost scared to tears. You crawl to the side of the cliff that you are least likely to be seen. You've just heard what demons sound like, and you really don't want them to notice you. But you're too intrigued to turn away now. Then you hear your demons pleading with Jesus. Send us to the pigs. Let, let us enter them. Now, this idea terrifies you. These pigs are your job. They're your life. They're your responsibility. And you can't stand the idea of these, these things going into them. However, you're too scared to do anything. 
Then again, it's just Jesus and demons. What could you really do if you had the courage to do anything to begin with? And then your heart drops as you see Jesus nod his head yes. Immediately you see two things happen. The first thing that you see is that a creepy man is now acting normal. He's worshiping Jesus in what you can only assume is a normal voice. He's talking to the twelve and they're talking to him. They even offer him some clothes, and you see a man that is famous for being as wild as possible put his clothes on. You realize that there's something different about him. He's, he's changed. He's healed. He's normal. The other thing that you notice is there are 2,000 pigs start acting crazy, even for pig standards. They start getting aggressive with one another, and then they all decide to race into the water as if they all collectively agree that they just want to create a new species of fish or pig fish. Or sea pig, whatever, however you want to call it. And now you've just gone from being one of the most successful herdsmen in the area to out of work and responsible for a death of 2,000 pigs. I wish you luck on your job search. It's going to be tough. Now, scared of what just happened, not knowing what to do next, so I'm not sure you could know what to do next after losing 2,000 pigs, you race back to town. But once you reach a town, you tell everyone what just happened. Now, people will probably look back at this and think they're telling people a good news about what we just saw, but in a moment, that's not what you're doing. Now, in, in a moment... In a moment, you're trying to make sure that you don't get too much of the blame. You're trying to figure out what to do. And trying to avoid as much blame as possible, you make sure in your story to mention that Jesus is the one that gave the demons permission to go into the pigs. It wasn't your fault. Now, at this, the town went to Jesus, some of them being scared, some just curious, and some angry. And whenever everyone in town gets back there, you and your buddies again tell everyone what happened. And again, mentioning the fact that it was all Jesus' fault. After hearing your story again, this time seeing the, the once crazy man being normal, that they all believe you. And with some of them being scared and some of them being angry at all the money they just lost, you all decide to start to beg Jesus to leave. Not, not just leave the town, but leave the entire area. And if Jesus is staying in a place that he's not welcome, Jesus and his 12 followers get into their boat. And you watch as the once crazy man follows right behind. And as he gets to the boat, you notice Jesus lifts his hand. But, but Jesus doesn't lift his hand to help him into the boat like you expected. Instead, he lifts his hand to tell him to stop. And, and you hear as Jesus tells him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. After that, you head back home to try to figure out what to do with your life now. And it's not long before you, you see a man that will live in your nightmares come to you and everyone else that you can find to tell you everything that God has done for him.
The first question I have for you this morning, I want to say tonight because I'm used to, t- to preaching to youth, but <laughs> first question I got for you this morning is who do you know that is unsavable? Who do you know who is unlovable? Who, who, who do you know that, did I hear stop over there? <laughs> who do you know that nobody cares about? Now I know we all want to believe that we're all good Christians and we all want to believe that everyone is savable. And, and Jesus can't save everybody. I'm not saying that they can't or they won't. Jesus can't. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always believe that. What we all have at least someone in our lives, whether it's an old friend or, or the black sheep of the family, that we believe is too wild to be saved. Or, or, or we've seen them, we've seen them change before, but they always end up going back to what had them trapped before. And now we, now we doubt that they will ever that they will ever change. You might even you might even doubt that Jesus could truly save them. That was this man. He, he was the outcast. He, he was the one that nobody loved. He was the one that everyone pretended didn't exist. He was the one that everyone had given up on and deemed unsavable. But here's the thing. That, that person that's, that nobody wants anything to do with might just be a person that changes the entire area. That, that's what happened in this story. This guy that was too far gone, he changed the area. This is chapter 5 of Mark. The story we just read is Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 8, just three chapters later, Jesus and his disciples come back to this area. But, but this time, with this guy having three chapters to tell his story, Jesus doesn't come back to an angry crowd. And say he comes back to 4,000 people they're so desperate to hear Jesus that they stay longer than they have food for. Three chapters, all that separates this story from the feeding of the 4,000. And just in case you think I'm going to say 5,000, it's mentioned twice in the Bible, there's a 4,000, 5,000. I personally think there's a 2,000, 3,000 that disciples just didn't care enough to write about. Um, after you see four and five, 2,000 isn't that impressive. But part of the story that is scary to me is the last part. The part where the town learned what happened and begged Jesus to leave. See, what I've noticed is that if we're not careful, we can get so focused on ourselves that we can see God do a miracle and we can still get upset. God can do a miracle and we get upset that it happened to that person. Or, or God should have done it sooner. Or, or God should have made them wait longer. Or God did it in a way that's different than what we thought it should have been done. So now we can't trust God. And you're probably thinking right now, how could, how could we possibly be so arrogant that we get mad at something like that? But it happens. And ironically, that mindset will cause people to leave the church. Because God did something different than how, than how we think it should have been done. That, that person didn't deserve to be saved, so 
you know, I'm, I'm not going to put up with being in the same church or the same faith as someone like that. I, I don't trust God if he's going to use people like that. You know, they're too young. I can't use them. Or, or they're, they're too old. All, their, all the things that God could use them for is done now. Or, or God can't possibly use that preaching style. I'm sure some of you are thinking that right now. There's, there's no way God could possibly anoint a 26-year-old telling stories. Um, but that's why I chose this story. To encourage you to, to not overlook the unseen. You know, if we truly want to be like God, if we truly want to be like Jesus, then the least likely people are the ones that we should go after. That's, that's what Jesus did. Jesus went after the nobodies and the outcasts. You know, some of the most famous and influential people in the entire Bible were thieves, prostitutes, and murderers. If you don't believe me, Moses, David, Mary Magdalene, Matthew, and Paul all fit at least one of those categories. Now, that isn't a group of people I would have gone after. It's not people I would have chosen. It's not a group that makes sense. But, but it is who Jesus chose. We also need to focus on God's ways and not ours. Now, it's far too common for Christians to want what God wants only if it's how we want. I, I, I want... I want this area of the church to improve, but I don't want to be one that does it. I want, I want prices and policies to change, but only if it's done by this party. I want fill in a blank, whatever else you, you can think of. But we need to be a people that wants what God wants, however God chooses to accomplish it. And there's still one more point of God, which I know I'm going a lot faster than my dad does, because I don't talk as long as he does. Um, but I'm going to tell you this point by telling you another story, because it, it fits in very well. This story is found in John chapter 4. And, and just some quick background for, for who you are in this, this story. You are a Samaritan woman. Um, I apologize for all of you guys, but... For the next five or ten minutes, you're a Samaritan woman. You don't like Jews, and Jews don't like you. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. Rabbis don't talk to women or Samaritans, so you and Jesus should never talk ever. Um, you, you are ashamed. You, you have made you have made way too many mistakes. You've made way too many mistakes in your life, and. That is why you know that you are unlovable. You live in a time period where the meaning of life for a woman is to get married and have kids. You're really good at first part, uh, but, but not as much as second. <laughs> and one by one, each of your husbands has decided that you're not good enough. You weren't worth their love. And now after being abandoned five times, you believe them. You believe a town. You've been shown time after time that you weren't worth anyone's love. 
you have given up on love, and now you sail for living with someone just so you don't feel completely alone. But, but you feel alone. You're, you're an outcast that everyone makes fun of. That's you, and that's where this story is going to begin. So you get up later than, than all the other women in town do. You know that you should go and get some water for the house, but, but you also know that they will be there. You can handle the stares from guys, but it's the, it's the gossip of the woman that really bothers you. So you stay and you clean up the house for a bit. It's something that should have been done last night. And as a result, everyone thinks you're lazy, but it's more than that. You're protecting yourself. So after the most thorough clean you could possibly do to waste as much time as possible, you go out to the town well to get some water. It's around noon now. It's, it's the hottest time of the day. Surely everyone is gone by now. And you can get some nice peace and quiet just for a few minutes, just like you like it. But this day, you apparently didn't, didn't leave way enough. But whenever you get to the well, you see a man there. You, you think to yourself, does he know who I am? Does he know the things that I've done? Does he know the reputation that I have? What does he think of me? I, I hope he doesn't say anything to me. I, I, can, I can handle his stares from guys, but it's, it's those comments that really bother me. It's those comments I can't stand. And as you get closer, as you get closer to the well, you keep your head down. It's bad enough that your quiet time has been interrupted. You really don't want to start a conversation. As you start to get some water, a man turns to you and asks you to give him some water. And you recognize his accent. Yet you know there's no way that he knows your story because he's a Jew. He doesn't belong here. You also know a way to get him to end the conversation right then and there. You reply to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now you know that if you stay with enough attitude that nobody will want to keep talking. However, you do not stay with enough attitude See, a conversation's not ending, it's just getting started. It may respond to you, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you living water. And I think to yourself, great. This person talks to himself, or about themselves in third person. <laughs> who talks in third person? That's just strange. Then you start to look him over and you realize he doesn't have anything to get water with. So you get a slight grin on your face as you answer him in a slightly sarcastic tone. You have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? The man simply replies to us if he didn't notice the tone at all. Everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the, of the, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Now this guy's weird. But you're so tired of playing your entire day around not seeing anybody that well that, that you give in. And you ask him to give you this living water. Now whenever you ask him to give, whenever you ask him this, he tells you to go get your husband. Now this isn't good. He, he has just brought up your greatest hurt. Holding back tears, you tell him that you don't have a husband. You think that you've just avoided the worst part of your story from coming out. Until the man replies, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Your heart drops, and you can no longer hold back the tears. You've just been called out but by, by this man that you've never met on your deepest, darkest secret. You think to yourself, this man must be a prophet. How, how else can he possibly know this about you? You don't tell anybody your story. Trying to sound all spiritual to redeem yourself, you ask him, where is the correct place of worship? Because... Because the Jews and the Samaritans both had their own place that they thought was the correct spot to worship. But the man gives you an answer that you didn't expect. He tells you that the time is coming where it doesn't matter where you worship, that God's spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, still trying to sound all spiritual. So you still want to have some dignity back. You tell him, man, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Then a man tells you something you're already questioning in your, in your head. Something you're already thinking about. He says, I who speak to you am he. At this, you forget what you came to the well for. You, you, you drop your water jug and you run back to the town. But whenever you get back to the town, you're no longer afraid of what people might think about you. But you go up to every single person that you can find, and you tell them, come. Come and see a man that told me everything he ever did. Could this be a Christ? And as soon as you're done telling that person, you go find another person. Come. Come. Come see a man that told me everything he ever did. Could this be a Christ? And go to the next person. Come. Come. And you notice that as you're telling people, people start going towards the well, to where Jesus is. And you start to realize that Jesus isn't leaving. In fact, Jesus stays there for a whole other two days. And whenever Jesus finally leaves, people start coming up to you. And they tell you that they no longer believe because of what you told them but because they have heard for themselves and know that he is a savior of the world. What is your story? What, what, what is your story? What is that thing, either from your past or your present, that, that you hope nobody finds out about? What, what, is, what is that thing that you believe disqualifies you from making a difference? 
For, for this woman, it was that she couldn't keep a relationship. She'd been married five times, and she'd been abandoned five times. For man from our last story, it's that he was demon-possessed with enough demons to kill 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of demons. He, he was famous for cutting himself and was known for being as wild as possible and everyone in town had seen all of him. For Matthew, it was that he was a tax collector, a thief. For Lazarus, he was dead. Like no pulse, not breathing, in tomb four days, gone. And then for Paul, he was a murderer. And to make even worse, a murderer of Christians. What is that thing that disqualifies you? Now, I know that I've got a few things that I could mention, um, but one I will mention this morning is that growing up, I suffered with anxiety. And some of you probably know this because you knew me whenever I did suffer from anxiety. Um, now, whenever I say I suffer from anxiety, I don't mean I got scared easy like most little kids did. Um, I, I love roller coasters. I, I was never high or anything like that. But I suffer from, normally, it was social things. And it was, it was bad enough that in kindergarten, in, in, a, in kindergarten in a public school, let's just add that in there to make it more obvious how bad this was. Um, I had a counselor specifically assigned to me. And before my mom decided to pull me out and homeschool me my kindergarten year, we had a substitute teacher. For school one day uh, and the public school called my parents asking them to leave me at home they were scared I wouldn't handle a change very well and it, it, it was fair I probably would not have <laughs> it would have been bad <laughs> and fast forward about two or three years and I finally got diagnosed with anxiety and given medication um and still suffer from anxiety attacks, but not as often. And then at a youth camp, I think, no, you have to ask my mom to know for sure. Uh, but at a youth camp, God healed me of my anxiety. And that was made where in my adult life, most of my, uh, most of my adult life has been doing things that would give me anxiety attacks. Like right now, I probably would have been hiding in one of the offices with the door shut and locked. But the reason I told you that and the reason I keep on asking you what is that thing for you is that as you read the Bible, you begin to notice that, that people that God uses aren't people that you expect. And that they're not the people that have everything figured out. They're not the people that have been perfect. Unless it's Jesus. But that's, that's an exception. But people that God uses more than anyone else are those that have a past and are willing to tell people that this is where I was, but this is where God took me to. There are ones who are willing to say, come and see. And you have a great opportunity to tell people your story this week. You got a great opportunity every week, but especially this week, with, with relaunch coming up next week, you got a great excuse to do it. 
like to invite the, our prayer team to come up. I know this message was really focused on, on sharing your faith to others, but we did talk about how Jesus changed their lives and, and saved both these people in a story. But both the demon-possessed man and the woman that everyone knew of. And as a result, it just wouldn't be right for me to, to leave this service without giving you the opportunity to, um, to experience Jesus for yourself if you haven't. So with everyone's eyes closed, I just want to, want to invite you that if you're, if you're thinking today, I, I really don't know who this Jesus guy is. Sounds cool, but I don't know who he is. And I wouldn't give him permission to change me. Well, or maybe you're the one, maybe you're one that you you know about him. You, you've been around church, you know about him, but we've never had a relationship with him. You're one that's been wild, and you're one that has felt unlovable and unsavable. That is you this morning. I want to invite you to just slip up your hand just as a physical sign between you and God. There's nobody looking around. Thank you. Now, with everyone's eyes still closed, I want to lead you in prayer of salvation. I want to invite the rest of the church to join in too, just in support of those that are making this decision. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving me even whenever I believed I wasn't I wasn't lovable. Thank you for never giving up on me. Even whenever I give up on myself. Today I invite you in my life. ask that you make me a new person in you. Remake me in your image. I ask that you be God of my life and pray that you help me stay committed to you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Please share this podcast Have a great week and make an impact on those around you.